Good morning. Good to see some new friends, old friends uh, here this morning. So one of the highlights of our time away uh, on our sabbatical was visiting the Grand Canyon. It was about two hours from where we were staying in Sedona, Arizona, so we couldn't not go and visit. I think it was a Tuesday morning, Monday morning, I forget which day. We got up early before the sun came up and we made our way north toward the Grand Canyon. The drive was gorgeous. The music was awesome. The company was great. And as we were making our way north, Pam reminded me that she had back in high school uh, visited for just a, a couple of hours while they were traveling the Grand Canyon. So she had seen it before, but uh, it would have been, it would be the first time that I personally would get to see the, the Grand Canyon. Of course, like, like all of us, um, I had seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. I, I knew what it was, right? I, I knew it was enormous, majestic, it was breathtaking, and it's definitely something that everybody should have on their own personal bucket list. But for me personally, I had never been there. I mean, I saw it in pictures, and beyond that, I saw it on TV shows like The Brady Bunch. Remember that episode? The Bradys go to the Grand Canyon. Awesome. And other movies like Vacation, when Chevy Chase and his family took, took a time to, to go to the Grand Canyon. Or even movies like Thelma and Louise. The Grand Canyon has made an appearance in lots of shows and movies over the years. But no matter how many pictures I, would, I had seen or, or, or TV shows or movies I had, had witnessed the, the Grand Canyon, it still could not possibly compare to the moment when, for the first time in my life, I experienced the Grand Canyon with Pam. It just is not the same. You see, it wasn't that the hundreds of times that I saw images of the Grand Canyon were inaccurate. They were accurate pictures of the Grand Canyon. It's that they were inadequate. They they weren't enough. See, I could have spent the rest of my life looking at pictures and learning all of the facts about the Grand Canyon, but until I actually made time to go and see it myself, I couldn't say that I had experienced the Grand Canyon. Today, and going all the way through the end of November, we're gonna go on a journey together as a church. And I hope that every one of you will join us, that you'll lean in on this journey the very best way that you possibly can. But this is a journey to learn what it means to experience God in our lives. See, if we're being honest, and that's what we want to be here at Zion, is we want to be honest. If we're being honest, many of us can say that we know some things about God. We've learned some truth about him. We enjoy listening to others talk about him. We may be even pretty good at talking about him ourselves. Yet, if you were asked directly, have you ever experienced God? You'd stumble fumble and maybe have a difficult time coming up with an answer. And already, let me get this put in the right spot here so it doesn't bug you and bug me all morning. There we go. All right. 
It's a good, it's a good day to have glasses. And some of you are already thinking, asking yourself the question, what in the world do you mean, Trent, by experiencing God? What, what do you mean when you say experiencing God? Are you talking about, Trent, are you, are you talking about like having visions and dreams? Trent, are you talking about like hearing an audible voice? Is experiencing God somehow connected with a, an overly emotional response, right, to some moment in a gathering that elicits some kind of a physical reaction or maybe leads us to tears? I mean, Trent, you're making me a little nervous talking about experiencing God. Are we about to get all weird up in here and start running around and dancing with our hands in the air? You, you can take a deep breath. That, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we mean. When we, when we begin this journey, we start thinking about experiencing God. That's not what we mean. See, if you have a, an Experiencing God book or workbook, the answer that we will learn over this series to what do we mean when we say we're experiencing God is in the subtitle. And what is the subtitle of Experiencing God? Knowing and doing the will of God. See, experiencing God is connected with knowing God, not just intellectual facts about him, but the intimate fellowship, knowing him intimately. So that intimate connection, that intimate knowing God leads us to want to do the will of God. And when we do the will of God, we're going to find out again and again in this series, we will always experience God. See, the big idea to me of this whole journey is this. To know God is to experience God. And to experience God is to do the will of God. Those things are, are interconnected. They're intertwined. You can't separate them. The scriptures, again, on this journey, you're going to find on your own and when you meet in your groups and on Sunday mornings, you're going to find that the scriptures are filled with examples to help us see the connection between knowing and doing the will of God. Knowing him intimately, and then the response to that is beginning to obey him, walk in obedience to him, and, and experiencing him as we do his will. As a matter of fact, the first passage I want us to take a look at is in the Old Testament. The prophet Jeremiah was talking to God's people, and they were at a place in their faith journey where they had wandered away from God to chase after idols, thinking that they knew better than Jehovah. And so Jeremiah is attempting to call them back to, to Jehovah, to Yahweh. To, and look at what, it's, what he tells them in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. He says, thus says the Lord, this is what the Lord wants you to know. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord." This understand and knows, the idea of knowing in the Old Testament is never really about head knowledge. 
It's not just about having the facts down. In the Hebrew mind, when they read about knowing God, it was always connected to intimacy, to closeness, to fellowship. It was always experiential in nature, not about head knowledge. And so when I think about us as a body of believers, I don't want us to be a wise church in the terms of knowledge about God. I I don't want us to be a church filled with Bible quiz masters who when they're asked a question about the Bible, they can pop off the answers like you've studied for a test. I I don't want us to to boast in in whatever kind of influence or, or riches or wealth that we may perceive that we have as a church. See, my dream, my prayer, our prayer collectively that during this series, that we would become more and more a church, that when we talk about ourselves, if there's any boasting, it's that we've become or we're trying to become a church that understands and knows God, that we experience Him in our lives. And what does that look like? Well, He tells us, He says, I am the God who practices steadfast love. Some of you are here today and you question the love of God. Why? Well, perhaps it's because you've never experienced it. You've never known his love. He practices justice. We talk a lot about justice, but have you ever experienced the justice of God at work in your life? Have you ever seen his righteousness show up in your life? Because the truth of the matter is, that's who God is, and that's as we get to know him what we have the opportunity and the privilege to experience. See, these themes of knowing and experiencing and doing his will will come out again and again and again. And they say that repetition is a good teacher. And so between what you hear on a Sunday morning, what you do in your book or your workbook or your audio book during the week, and then when you gather in smaller groups, you're going to say and talk about and hear themes that are going to be interconnected and overlap time and time again. But just like a good teacher knows that they've got to repeat concepts in order for them to be drilled down into the soul of their students, we're going to repeat and rehearse and talk about concepts with the belief, the hope, the prayer that they get drilled down into our souls. Again, that's why we would say to you, if you haven't got a book or a workbook, if you haven't been willing to be stretched to step into a D group this, this fall during this series, please reconsider. Please consider it. We want to help you because we collectively want to experience God. If you do have the workbook, and I'm going to try to preach messages that aren't just through the pages of the workbook or the book. I'm not, I don't want to be that redundant, but we're going, to, we're going to hit on the themes of each unit. And so if you've started in your workbook, you know that unit one talks about God's will. The title of it is God's Will for Your Life. So let's, this morning, talk about God's will. Well, what do you think about when you think about God's will? Most of us, at least for me, I grew up thinking of God's will in these terms. It's a bullseye or it's a tightrope. See, I, I grew up believing that there was the, and we heard this language a lot, the center of his perfect will. I had a friend in Bible college who every time he prayed, he always prayed, God, keep me in the center of your perfect will no matter the cost or the price. And the, the thought was that there's this bullseye that God has for every person. 
and that our goal every single day is to wake up and try to hit the bullseye. And I've learned over time and experience that, man, that is, that is a, that's tough sledding. You're going to feel like, the, like a failure because you're going to have days that you don't always hit the bullseye. Likewise, I've understood and been taught that, that, that the, the will of God is a straight line. Unfortunately, that straight line feels much more like a tightrope, that you're always on edge. You're always waking up every day. Is this God's will? Is this God's will? Is this the step I need to take? Is that the step I need to take? And again, that's a hard way to live. That's a difficult way to begin to process and understand what God's will is. And, and if that's how you view and, and, and understand God's will to be, maybe what I'm about to say to you is going to be extremely helpful and extremely freeing to you. Because I've come to understand that a better way to think about God's will is a hula hoop. No, I'm not. So don't ask. You don't want to see none of that. You don't want to see none of that. Not not that the, the will of God is a hula hoop, but that we should think of God's will as a circle. All right? That we should begin to think about God's will as a circle. You see, we understand theologically God is sovereign over everything, He is sovereign over all of creation. Right? Nothing happens apart from his watchful eye, and God has uh, the ability to, to um, control things as he sees fit, to say yes or no to things as he sees fit. He is sovereign, completely sovereign. And so, at the same time, God does have a will. God does have a will. And what ends up happening is, we, asked, we have a tendency to ask a, a question that's really not a good question. We ask this question, what is God's will for my life, right? What, what is God's will for my life? And, and that's not a bad question, but it puts you at the center of the conversation. A better question is not what's God's will for my life, but what is God's will, right? There's a, the, the, the sovereign nature of God, but then there's also the will of God inside of the will of God. And so all of us started our lives outside of his will. We didn't want anything to do with God's will for our life. We were chasing after our own will. We were living in sin. And, and hopefully everybody in this, in this room can give a testimony of the moment that they decided, I want to repent of my own my sin. I want, to, I want to surrender my heart, my life. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want him to be the Lord. I want him to be in control. And in so doing, you began to respond to the gospel and hopefully move inside of his will. Right? See, the truth is, and I've said this to a couple people this week, we all have the opportunity to choose whether or not we want to follow Jesus. Nobody's forced you to follow Jesus. But once we choose to follow Jesus, we don't get to choose what following Jesus means and what it looks like. We don't follow Jesus on our own terms. We follow Jesus on his terms. And the way to begin to follow Jesus on, on his terms is to begin thinking about his will over our will. And so, again, as followers of Jesus, 
We ought to be bent towards saying, I want your will. But inside of, you're thinking, he's about to do it. No, I'm not. I promise you I'm not. But inside of his will, there's still variables. There's still movement. There's still choices that you can make that are perfectly acceptable, perfectly fine. God-honoring choices that don't have to be a bullseye and don't have to be a tightrope walk. You can make all kinds of choices about where to work, where to live, what house to buy, what car to drive, who to date, and be perfectly within the will of God. Because the will of God is not a line and it's not a dot. It's thought of much more like a circle. All right? But here's the thing. What's in the circle? What's in the circle? As, as those who've chosen to follow Christ, our number one priority every single day is, how do I live in the circle? How do I do God's will today? How do I do God's will tomorrow? How do I do God's will the next day and the next day and the next day? Because I've chosen to follow Jesus, I don't get to decide what's in the circle and what's not in the circle. Unfortunately, this is what we try to do often. I'll kind of do what God wants, but then I kind of want to do what I want, but then I kind of want to do what God wants, but then I kind of want to, what I, what I, what I, I, I kind of want to do what I want. And this is how, honestly, many of us, most Christians live their life. Instead of just stepping in and saying, you know what, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, my default is I'm living here. I just want to do God's will. And we'll figure out the rest as we go along. All right? So what's in the circle? I think the easiest way to, to explain to you what's in the circle of God's will is to say this, the instructions of Scripture. The instructions of Scripture are his revealed, known will. What do I mean by that? Well, there's an awful lot of things in life that we don't have to pray about. And I say we don't need to pray, but there's a lot of things that we encounter, that we bump into during the day, during the week, during, during different seasons in our life that we don't need to figure out God's will. It's already been revealed. We already know what it is. It's inside the circle because it's been instructed to us inside the scriptures. Let me give you some examples. I bump heads with somebody time and time again to the point that I would classify them as an enemy. Man, we're opposed to each other. I mean, this is it. This is the relationship. It's just, it feels very combative. It feels like there's an enemy on the other side, right? Do I need to pray about how to treat them? I mean, seriously, do I need to pray how to treat them? Or does the scripture tell me what I need to do? You know the answer. We're to love our enemies. Now, we can pray about what does that look like, but I don't get to decide whether or not I love them or not because I've chosen the will of God. Do I need to pray about whether or not to forgive my spouse when they kind of get under my skin, when they, they don't live up to the expectations that I have for them? When, when, when things aren't, when we're not pulling in the same direction, do I need to pray about that? Well, no. Why? Because we're commanded, the instructions of Scripture are to forgive, even as God, and for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. I don't need to pray for whether or not I should. Now, I need to pray for wisdom to know how to, how to have those conversations and talk it all through, but do I need to pray about forgiving them? No. Do I need to pray about whether I should live in community with other believers? 
Listen, most of the New Testament, and we've talked about this before, most of the, the commands in the, in the New Testament can't be obeyed in isolation. They can't be obeyed as you just are doing your own thing, floating through life. All of the one another's of Scripture presume community. Presume that you're connected with a group of believers. So we don't need to pray whether, about whether or not we should be in community with other believers. Now, we can pray about who and how and when, but whether or not we should be in community with other believers, let me just help you. Don't pray about it. Just get into community. Do I need to pray about sharing the gospel? No, because Jesus says, you are to be my witnesses. Again, we don't have to pray about that. Do I need to pray about using my gifts? God says that let every man, let every woman use the gifts that God, again, through the Holy Spirit, has given us. See, not using your gifts, not sharing the gospel, not living in community, not forgiving, not loving your enemy, puts you outside the circle. If you choose not to do the things that are clearly spelled out in the scriptures, this is you. You're outside. You're outside, the, you're outside of God's will. And that's just the honest truth. Again, we know the answer to the questions. The problem is we often don't will the will of God. Right? We, we, we don't will. We don't want the will of God in our lives. If you're taking notes, write this down. Until we will the will of God, I want to be inside the circle. We will never experience God because it's in doing the will of God that we truly experience him. So, that was direct. That was like an opening round kind of haymaker, right? Here we go. Now let me help you. How do you begin to will the will of God? How do you begin to, to, to think about doing and willing the will of God in your life? Well, let's look at a few passages together that I think will help. The first one is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. It'll be up on the screen. Listen to what Paul, listen to what Paul says. He says to the church at Ephesus, he says, look carefully then how you walk. Pay, pay attention I don't, don't just live life haphazardly. Pay attention then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is saying there are two ways to live. There's an unwise way, right? There's an unwise way, there's a foolish way to live, right? And there is a wise way to live. There's a way that proves that you're an understanding follower of Jesus. You understand that inside of the will of God, doing what God wants, though it's not always easy, is always best. Though you don't wake up every single day excited about doing some of the things that you know are inside of God's will, you recognize, I'm going to do it. 
because that's the best way to live. And I've chosen to follow Jesus, therefore my directives are clear. I want to be and do his will. Paul talks about the, the evil days. The days are evil. A lot of times when, we, when we, we read that, the days are evil. And we want to run to, you know, wherever you run when you think about evil in our day. All right? And that's fine. That's cool. That's, that's all right. But this week, as I was thinking about it, I thought, okay, how can I be helpful? Well, I want to give you a definition of evil for you. And a definition of evil for me. You ready? Anything that pulls us away from the will of God is evil. Anything. Even if it's a good thing, if it keeps you from living in the circle of God's will, for you it's evil. For me, it's evil. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. And again, you've got to wrestle with what that evil thing is that you've never really thought of as evil. You just thought of it as, as you know, stuff that you've got to do, things that you like, hobbies that you have, priorities that you've established. But as you think about those things, if all of a sudden you begin to go, you know what, it's those things that really keep me from doing the thing that I ought to be doing as a follower of Jesus, which is chasing after his will living out his will in my life, then what if you just started attaching the word evil to it? This is evil. This is evil. This is evil. Not because it's sinful necessarily, but I'm just convinced that we engage in a lot of non-sinful activities that become idols for us. And when they become idols for us and to us, they become evil. They become evil. And then turn over to Romans chapter 12. This is a familiar passage. Romans 12. In his letter to believers in Rome, he, he addresses some things that, I know we've heard this before, but as we read it, let's, let's think about the will of God because he had, talks about the will of God. He, he says... I appeal to you, I beseech you, I beg of you, some of your translations might say. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because you have experienced the mercy of God in your life, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He goes on and says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern, you may understand what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, if we're looking for some handles for how to get better at willing God's will, I think Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a great place to look. Did did you see it in those passages? Did you see some handles? I, I saw some handles that I think we can hold on to. The first one is this. We've got to daily present our bodies to God. We've got to daily present ourselves to God. He refers to us as living sacrifices. That's a powerful image. 
That's the image of, of Paul in Galatians saying, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but, but Christ who lives through me. It's, it's, it's an image of, of when Paul says, I die daily. That, that idea of being a living sacrifice is powerful and it's important. But it's not always easy. The reason why being a living sacrifice isn't always easy is because unlike a dead sacrifice, we can jump off the altar. We, we can at any time decide, you know what, I, I'm going to, I know what God's will is. I know what God wants me to do here, but I don't want it. I want what I want. In that moment, you're no longer a living sacrifice. You are living for self. A living sacrifice means that I'm going to continually, daily, moment by moment, stop and pause and consider right now in this conversation, in this decision, in this thought, in this attitude, what is God's will? Daily saying to God, God, today I'm a living sacrifice. Daily saying to God, God, today I want to die. I want to will your will because I know me. And even if it means, and this might be silly, but if, if, you're, a, if you're a visual learner, if you're a, you're a visual person, go to Walmart, buy a, buy a hula hoop. Over the next three months, put it at the foot of your bed. And when you throw your, your feet on the floor, step inside the hula hoop. And just think to yourself and, and pray and talk to God and say, God, today, I, this is where I want to be. I want to I just do your will today. I want to do, do your will with my family. And I want to do your will when it comes to my work. And I want to do your will when it comes to my thoughts. I want to do your will when it comes to my, my priorities. God, today, I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice to you. And then step out of the circle and go about your day. Maybe it's not a hula hoop. Maybe it's something else. But there's something about reminding yourself daily that today I am, I want to be a living sacrifice so that I can do your will. He goes on and says, not only should you present your body as a living sacrifice, he goes on and he says, don't listen to culture. Be not conformed to this world. I love what the message translation uh, says there. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Again, using the, the hula hoop circle illustration, we would say it this way. Don't let the world pull you out of the circle. Everything about our culture wants to grab you and pull you away from doing God's will. The, the culture around you isn't celebrating you seeking God's will. The, the culture around you isn't giving you attaboys and girls for being more forgiving, for being more loving, for being more patient. You, you won't get that. Don't let the culture squeeze you into its mold. How, how do you know if the, if the culture is squeezing you into its mold? Well, check your emotions, check your feelings every single day. If every single day you're living with a sense of anger and rage toward the things in the culture, then culture is doing its job. Let me say that again. If every single day you wake up and you are angry and raging against culture, you've given in to culture. You have. 
If every single day you wake up and you turn on the news and it makes you fearful, I mean fearful, guess what you've done? You've just given in to culture. Why? Well, let's go back to the scriptures. How many times does the Bible say, fear not, fear not, fear not? So if what you see in the culture creates in you a fear, you've just been pulled out of the circle by culture. Don't, don't let culture do that. We're called to live differently. In spite of what's going on in the culture, we should still be a people who can, because we know what God's will is, we can continue to rejoice we, we can t- continue to embrace joy. We can continue to be patient and we can continue to be kind and we can continue to be loving. No matter what's going on outside, I'm trying to do God's will. And that's going to affect how I view, how I interact, how I live inside of a culture that just wants me to step out. There we go. Let me give you another one. He says... Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And God just said it this way. Let God, let God change your thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And oftentimes when you've heard a, a pastor uh, communicate this text, they'll talk about the cocoon and the, 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 the caterpillar being turned into a butterfly. It's a good illustration, but I got, a, I got another one for you this morning. Let's think about meat. Any grillers? Anybody like to cook? Right? Throw a slab of meat on a grill. Blackstone would be nice. My birthday's coming up. I'm just saying. I don't have one. But, uh, but yeah, you, you know the, those, of, those who like to grill, those who like to cook, n- know this, that <clears throat> if you want to enhance and improve the flavor of a piece of meat... Before you throw it on the grill, you got to do something else first. You got to marinate it in something. You got to let it soak. You got to let it soak in some seasoning. You got to let it soak into some some barbecue sauce. You got to just, the the longer that you allow that piece of meat to to marinate in the right right spices and mixes and the right sauces, right, It, it enhances and improves the flavor of that, of that meat. It just tastes better, right, when you then put it out on the grill. And so when I thought about that, I thought about, you know, that's, that's what we need, right? We need, if we're, gonna, if we're going to let God transform our thinking about his will and, and help us to will his will, then, then we need some transformation. We need to soak in something. We need to marinate. And if you're taking notes, I don't think this is on the screen. Here's what I would tell you. Transformation requires marination. Transformation requires marination. And what is it that we must marinate on as, as believers? That we've got to take the time to soak in so that the flavor of our life gets better. So, so that we taste better to others who are observing us and watching us. Well, you, you know the answer. We've got to marinate on God's word. 
And the more that we can marinate on God's word, the more we're putting ourselves in a position for God by his spirit to transform us, to change our thinking, to help us to begin to will his will when we often don't. Marinating on his word. You know, his word is... It's a lot like facial recognition. Toss me my phone, Pam. Can you toss me my phone? Thanks. You could have tossed it. I, I could have came down there and get it. So No, I would have caught it. I would have caught it. How many of your phones have facial recognition? Facial recognition? You know how facial recognition works? Right? right? It, it rec- takes a picture of my face, and then I hold it up, and it'll unlock it because it sees my face. I learned this about facial recognition a few weeks ago, and I'm like, that's a great illustration. Facial recognition gets better over time. The the more your phone looks at and, and pings your face, the better it is at recognizing your face. So that over time, even if I shave my beard or break my nose or grow some hair, right? It'll still, it'll still, over time, recognize my face. It's getting to know me more and more the more it pings my face. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what, the truth of the matter is, we ought to be like facial recognition. You, you see, the more we open God's word and, and we look into the word of God, the better we should be at recognizing God at discerning what God's up to, at noticing God working around us, whatever he's doing. And so when we talk about marinating on God's word, it's so that we can better recognize his face, so we can better recognize how he's working or how he wants to work, what it is that's inside of his will for our lives, and respond accordingly. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 It's pretty clear if we want to do the will of God, if we want to be able to discern the will of God, what's inside the circle, make yourself a living sacrifice. Don't let culture pull you outside of the circle. And let God's word transform us day by day by day. And let's look at one more passage because there's one more point that we want to make before we we wrap up this morning. And it's found in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, again, you know that this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. And oftentimes when Paul would write letters to churches, he would include written prayers. I think in, in, in recent months and in, in different seasons of time, um, again, with our, our weekly catechism, there's a written prayer that we join in. Uh, together praying. Uh, Last week, I totally botched the Lord's Prayer uh, outside. We won't talk about that. Uh, But there are times when praying written prayers is a great, a great practice. And and I would tell you this, that anytime you read a prayer in the scriptures, that's a great prayer to pray, right? And so as Paul writes to the church in in Colossae, he writes out a prayer for them. He says, this is what I pray for you. And let's look at what he says in this prayer. Colossians chapter 1, starting in, actually guys, I think I gave you the wrong verse. It's 9 
through 14. I'm looking at my notes. I did give you the wrong verse. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. It's going to take him a minute, but I want us to see it. <clears throat> dun, 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 dun. Look how quick, how quick. Can... There we go. There we go. Good job. You guys are fast. So Paul writes these words. He says, And so, from the day we heard about their faith in Christ, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking, listen to what Paul says, his prayer for the church in Colossians. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now again, remember the connection. Knowledge isn't just facts. We, we can, I believe, rightly say that Paul's intention Paul's idea when he wrote knowledge of his will, it was experiencing his will, living inside the circle. Not just knowing what's in the circle of his will, but experiencing it. This is how you get to know God. How do you get to know his will? It's by actually living inside of it, doing it. That you may be filled with the knowledge, the experience of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here's again, this is, an, this is an experiential statement. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is experience. This is how you live that. You're, he's talking about living it out day in and day out. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work. And here he says it again. And increasing in the knowledge of God. The experience of God. Getting to know him. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance. And patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you want to know the why between the why for wanting to, to know and experience the will of God, to increase in our experience of God, it's because of what he has done for us. Why should you and I want to will the will of God in our life? Why should we chase after being inside the circle? Not half in, half out, but saying, I want to be all in. It's because of what Christ has done for us. He's qualified us to become saints because of what he did on the cross. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. See, if you want to will the will of God, you got to pray. We have to pray for the will, to will the will of God. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. That, that's a starting point. It's a middle point. It's the end point, And it's every point in between. One of the one of the things that we said coming back from our sabbatical is we're going to continue to raise the, the, the temperature when it comes to prayer here at Zion. We're, we're going we're gonna to be intentional about trying to challenge us all to make prayer our first priority, a first response instead of a last resort. And one of the ways that I want to challenge us to just turn it up just a degree over these next 12 weeks our own personal prayer life, is I want to challenge you to pray Colossians 1, 9 through 14 every day when you throw your feet on the floor. Every day when you throw your feet on the floor. What does that look like? What would that sound like? I'm glad you asked. 
Because we took Colossians 9 through 14, and instead of it being Paul's prayer for Colossae, I said, okay, what would this look like if I prayed this for myself? Kind of just rewrote it, adapted it. And so I wanted you to see this up on the screen. I want you to see it, and then I want to show you what we're going to do with it. Making it personal, Colossians 1, 9 through 14 sounds like this. Heavenly Father, I humbly come before you asking that you would fill me with the knowledge. I want to experience your will. Don't need to take a picture, Maggie. I see that. I got something for you. <laughs> got my eyes on y'all. <laughs> Help me, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of you, seeking to fully please you in all that I do. May my life bear fruit in every good work, and may I continually grow in my knowledge, my experience of who you are. Grant me the strength I need to endure and be patient, even in difficult times, even when I don't want to do your will, even when I want to chase after my own will and fill my heart with joy as being in the circle sometimes will present some challenges. And if you need motivation for why you should want to do this, you continue to pray. God, I give thanks to you, Heavenly Father, for qualifying me to share in the inheritance of the saints. I am grateful that you've delivered me from the domain of darkness and have brought me into the kingdom of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. In him, I find redemption and the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for your boundless grace and love. Thank you. And, and what would happen if we all collectively as a body threw our feet on the floor and we stepped inside of our hula hoop. We presented ourselves as a living sacrifice. And we took this prayer and we said, God, here's my prayer for today. We woke up the next day and we did it the next day and the next day and the next day. Well, I have my prayer list, Trent. I have my prayer. That's fine. Keep all of it. Do you do you when it comes to your rhythms of prayer. But what if we collectively did this. And you just added this simple prayer to start your day. Every day for the next 12 weeks. I saw Maggie taking a picture. What I want us to do, I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come. And my challenge to you is, is, is that. This is my challenge to you. Is be willing to pray for yourself over the next 12 weeks. As you lean into the book, the workbook, the audiobook, or if the, the most that you're able to, to make a commitment to is to just being in the room, that's great. Then, then make that commitment. Be committed to being in the room. Be committed to being here on Sunday mornings. And if you're watching online because you couldn't be in the room, we sure hope to see you in the room next weekend. There's still something different about being in the room. It's the difference between sitting around a bonfire and sitting in front of an electric heater. Both produce heat, but they're completely different experiences. They just, they just are. And so as our worship team comes, the challenge to the body is if you are willing to take on the challenge to pray this daily experiencing God prayer, I've got cards right up here. Come and get one. And since you're getting one, Take a minute to, to maybe kneel and pray or to stand in the corner and pray or to get a card, take it back to your seat and slow down and, and pray. Pray through this prayer in your own words. It's not the words 
right? This is the word of God kind of adapted, so you're, you're good to pray right through this. But pray phrases, think about it, dwell on it, expand on it. I encourage you to do this and then take it home and put it on your mirror, put it by your, you know, by your nightstand, put it someplace where you regularly are thinking about this and praying this over the next several weeks. Come and grab a card, pray here, pray there, pray with a friend, but let's just let this time be, be an unhurried time. I'm going to sing a, a worship song that speaks to that. See, in our lives, man, we just rush. Rush in, rush out, we get to the next place. Listen, listen to this song as you respond. Sing along if you'd like, but, but just let, let this unhurried moment of response let God's word, his spirit, minister to you. And if you want somebody to pray with you, there are people who would be more than happy to do that. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And I pray that today you would continue the work that you want to do in us as a church family. We love you, Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and respond as God's calling us.